This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Well, it's nice that anybody showed up today. We have two people who are not fair-weathered Christians. Amen, brothers and sisters, or whatever you call yourselves. Sorry, I don't know your... <laughs> is there Christian nouns now? <laughs> Instead of pronouns, belief, faith nouns? Um, I don't know what I call myself, so there you go. We're all in the boat together. Well, welcome to Revolution, everybody. We're doing another live Instagram as well, so um, I guess so people don't have to brave the snow. I got to drive out to Golden Valley today to pick up Caleb, our our master of revolution and master of all audio um, and children's pastor. Um, he became a pastor a lot faster than Brian did. Um, <laughs> sorry, Brian. Um, yeah, so welcome to Revolution, everybody. <laughs> um, what am I doing with my life? Um, driving in snow. Um, had another friend of mine lose a loved one this week, lose their mother. Um, last week, another friend of mine lost their father and was talking a lot about, talked about life after death last week. Um, man, it's tough to watch people go through losing people and both people I had spent time with at at uh, nursing homes, and you really do feel your mortality there and realize that the importance of living a life well as you can, you know, because um, we only got a short time here. It moves, life moves pretty fast, as uh, Ferris Bueller said. Um, so today... Um, we've, we've talked about love in the past. We're going to talk a little bit more about love today. Um, hopefully this one will be a little bit clearer than the last one. We don't have, uh, my friend here to push back on us, so that should be good. Um, I am going to quote from Augustine or Augustine, whoever, however you want to say it. Uh, he has a quote. I was going to do a whole comedy bit on Minnesota weather, and I just forgot it all, so I'm not going to do that. Um, Augustine, as I'm going to call him, or Augustine, um, has a quote that says, but what do I love when I love God? And I wrote next to it, how do I love God? And so that was a famous quote of his, famous question. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, And we're going to be going through 1 John four, which is probably, I have a lot of favorite verses, I guess, a lot of favorite sections in the Bible, but this is one of my, I really dig this one, Um, especially it's always good when I argued back in the day with my neo-Calvinist friends. I could always use this one um, because there's the quote, God is love, and I said that once, and I had a Calvinist go, where does it say that? And I knew it said it somewhere, but then all of a sudden I was like, kind of questioned myself, and I had to like, Google it, and I was like, for John, for, and then he was like, oh, well, that's only one of God's aspects. God is also, you know, because they always want God to be just, you know, so they can explain why God wants to burn everybody for eternity and predestine them to burn for eternity. I mean, I'm really glad I grew up more Arminian, more free will, just because, yeah, just because, and now I don't really care about either one, but isn't that what, like a good theologian? What do you think about that? I don't care. Maybe we're robots, maybe we're not. Um, Was I predestined to say that? I don't know. So 1 John 4, 
uh, starting in 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone whose love is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, or this is love, not that we loved God, but that love that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now I have atonement theory issues, but we'll deal with that in another day. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, already, um, it's so easy to say, like, you know, oh, I'm a theist, or I'm an atheist, or I'm an atheist, or this or that, you know, non-theist, or whatever. Um, but I like this this conversation because and I've liked this verse a lot because it just says, you know, if you love, you've got God. If you don't love, you're missing it. And saying God is love, you know, and we have a lot of theological discussions of what is God? Is God the ground of being? Is God, you know, infinite? What is this? And if God is love, then I feel like love is infinite. I've always felt like love is infinite. I feel like grace is a bit infinite as well. Um, I've experienced grace recently in a, an old friendship that I hadn't connected with somebody in six or seven years, and we just kind of lost touch. And and uh, we both were like, oh, this is weird. And, uh, you know, but at the, at the same point, we're like, you know what? It doesn't matter. No hard feelings. You know, let's just move on with our lives and reconnect. And it was like this grace and this love, and it was really cool. Um, but, you know, you see people... I see people with all sorts of issues in their lives, all sorts of mental health issues, all sorts of different belief systems. Um, but I see people who love. They might not love everybody, but I see them love their family. I see them love them friends. Um, sometimes love themselves too much. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, is I see that love in people. And so to me, that is the presence of something higher than I understand. And we talked about a few weeks ago, I was saying, like, you know, or last week when we talked about life after death and what, what do we have, and we pass love on in a lot of people. You know, after we die, we leave that moments and little pictures of love, and, and, and love is this contagious, infinite thing that we all carry on. And so we carry that with us and, 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 and allow other people to live through us as we love and continue to go forward. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think everybody has a an ounce of love in them. So, you know, if you want to call that God, I think we can see God's fingerprint in every human being, whether it be someone who has a romantic relationship. Because even romantic relationships are tough. You know, once the fuzzies worn off, you still have to deal and you live together and go through things, you know, and sometimes you have to choose love, you know. And what is that? That's something beyond us. That's we're finite beings grasping the infinite. Um, goes on to say, but this we know, that we abide in him, and I'm sorry for all the male pronouns, it's just this is the translation, and he is in us. Because he has given us his, of the Spirit, we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son 
as a Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this year we'll get into this part. And they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. <clears throat> now, this is where we hit, where the rubber hits the road. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. So like I was saying earlier is, you know, I used to get people who were saying, well, this is what God is. God is this. God is that. But this is the clearest point where we get something where it's just a definite statement that this is what God is. God is love. I believe, uh, uh, is it uh, John Caputo says God is the, um, the unconditional. And I think the reason Caputo says that is because he's wanting to really get us to go even beyond that con- our own construct or concepts of love. Because we all have our own glasses and concepts and constructs that we make. And so he's trying to get us to get a little bit beyond even that and go further. Um, but love is pretty big. Um, And what does that look like? We'll get into that in a minute. So, what is God? I ask again. Well, love. Well, what is love? Um, Let's go into this even further because it's really good and I'll just talk about it. I was going to like try to go through it and then talk, go through it, talk, go through it, talk, but I'll just do this. Love has been perfected amongst us in this day that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as his is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punish, fear of punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I, yeah, let's wait for that one. So let's go back. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so I was raised to believe that you've got to fear God. And I, you can, I can find verses for you that say that. And I was reading a uh, Brennan Manning, and Brennan Manning said that we've mistranslated that. And because if perfect love casts out all fear, and then we're supposed to fear God, so either we have a contradiction, which happens in the Bible, or we have this explanation of someone like Brennan Manning who said, really, those translations are poor because what it really means is awe, reverence, and wonder. So it's this idea of not knowing something greater than ourselves. He's saying it's reverence, it's respect, it's wonder, it's not fear, it's not trembling, it's not being scared. And so love has no fear in it when it's perfected. That's pretty crazy because I honestly, I love a lot of people that I fear. But that love hasn't been perfected. And I don't know if that's because their relationship with me hasn't been perfected or that we just haven't got to a point where we can trust each other completely. Um, But love isn't supposed to have fear. But I thought we were supposed to fear God. But no. So if we love our enemies, then we don't need to fear them. If we love those who persecute us, we love those who hurt us, as the Bible talks about, as Jesus talks about clearly, um, then we don't need to fear them. We can become cautious, or as the Bible says, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, and protect ourselves. But if we really love, then we don't need to fear our enemies. So what we need to do is instead of fear, we need to seek out wisdom and understanding and learn to live as human beings and to be cautiously loving others. 
you know? So take down that fear. But that also comes with a self-realization of accepting yourself as accepted that Paul Tillich talks about. Um, you know, we have to, because, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in order to love yourself, you've got to ex- learn to love yourself and accept yourself and not be afraid of yourself as well. Um, perfect love casts out all fear, what we just read. Uh, Corinthians 13 says love doesn't fear, it keeps no record of when it's been wrong, never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Um, so when we learn to do that in our own lives and live well and live a life, you know, that's what I've had to do. You know, I tried to take my own life. And why did I try to take my own life? Is because I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to, I gave up on myself. If things were too tough. And I failed at that, and I'm so grateful now that I failed at that because now I want to live, and now I want to accept myself. And trying to love people who don't see, you know, haven't experienced me like that yet is interesting, you know. And being myself and having to be true to them and have new boundaries and new standards and new things like that, and just be like, I am what I am, and I, you get what you get, and I'm not going to apologize for that because I spent most of my life apologizing for who I was. I didn't love myself. But through that failure of taking my life and going through that, I've learned to love myself and accept myself and be like, you know, this is who I am. I'm just not this person. I just tried to be what society wanted me to be. But by doing that and by trying to constantly conform, I wasn't loving myself. I was trying to match up to expectations of someone else or something else, the big other. And I just said, screw it. Can't do it. Not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to live my life, which is a life of love, loving myself, loving others, and saying, you know, I'm going to take the time, I'm going to be patient with people in my relationships and my friendships to be able to sit down and say, this is who I am. You know, oh, I'm sorry, you you know, I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm not going to apologize for everything anymore, but I'm going to thank you for that. Or I'm going to say, I appreciate that. Or... You know, I'm not going to be this type of person anymore. I'm not your stepping stone. I'm not your stepping stone. Was that the monkeys? You know, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm not going to be your, your footstool. Um, I'm not going to let you crush me. So self-love, coming to that self-realization, really helps us a lot to get rid of that fear. Um, I still think there's going to be have to be caution, and we have to there, and that fear is going to creep back in. It's always going to be a part of love. Um, but letting fear go in our relationships to love. Um, so the, the, there, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Um, so that's the perfection. That's the idea. I think people like Martin Luther King Jr. really grasped that idea of fearless love. Like, I'm going to love these people no matter how mad they beat me, no matter how many times they put me in prison, no matter if they take my own life. It's important to me that these people repent. It is important to me that these people have a change of heart, a change of mind, that they come around. And, you know, in some ways it's easy to see someone like MLK Jr. as naive, you know, because he just loved people so much and it cost him everything. But at the same time, look at the, the long-lasting, his life continues to go on. He continues to have life after death because he loved so radically, you know. And he, he wouldn't say it was perfect love, but man, it was pretty close to a perfect type of love of loving his enemies. He grasped them, drew a map for me and everything I do to love people that way. 
and to show grace and to show care. And it's tough because we've all been so hurt. We all have such different backgrounds. We all suffer from, you know, and I'm not saying that you need to go back into a, I'm not saying stay in a relationship that's toxic. I didn't. We got out of the relationship. But I got two kids, and I still want to love this person just in a different way. But I also had to learn to love myself before I could go back and love them. So I knew where, how to have a conversation again, just how to be human again, and realize we are all full of contradictions. You know, I love my dad, but man, I don't agree with him on a ton of things. You know, and some things that, like, you see people would just be like, nope, this is my limit. You know, and if you have limits in your life, I respect that. But what I recommend is boundaries. Have boundaries in your life, and don't let your boundaries be hate. Don't allow your boundaries to cause other, to hate other people, you know, or, or not tolerate other people. But have boundaries that say, okay, I'm going to love from a safe distance, because I believe we can do that. And I've seen people do that. And I do that. You know, I don't talk to my dad every day on the phone. We talk and communicate when we can every few months. And we know that that's how we love each other. You know, we don't allow ourselves to get into a relationship where we're constantly on hurting one another or doing things like that. Why? Because we love each other. We hold our tongues. Why? Because we love each other. And then there's times where we don't. But we know that that's the right time to have the conversation and to have the argument, and to have a good argument, because we love each other. And if one of us oversteps the boundaries, we can say, hey, 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 you know, that hurts. I can't do that. You know, I mean, there's been times where I've picked up the phone, called my dad, and said, Dad, you can't have people who are anti-LGBTQ on your show. You know, it hurts me. It just, it's not right. It's not, you know, this, this, is, this, is, a, this is a boundary that you, uh, I can't have you cross. But I loved him enough to pick up the phone and have the conversation. Not everybody's going to do this because not everybody's me. But I'm just saying, this doesn't happen overnight. It says love perfected in us. We'll never be perfect at it. But it's a perfection and perfection and perfecting something and learning something. As if you're a guitar player, you have to continue to play and play. If you're a skateboarder, you have to go and skate constantly. If you're a tattoo artist, you've got to draw, 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 draw. Tattoo, 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 you know. I mean, I've got some friends who've won awards and everything, but I got one of their first tattoos, and if you looked at it, you would be like, oh, what the hell is that, you know? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, even one of my friends won this big award. I was like, yeah, you better hope I don't send any pictures of my tattoos to them. <laughs> They'll be taking that award back. Um, you know, they couldn't even draw a straight line or a crooked line. Um, <laughs> but over time, they learned their, through their craft to perfect it, to get better and better. And we all have to work on that, and we all have different times. So I'm not saying that we all have to be perfect at love. That's not even the question, but what I'm, I'm trying to put that out there is because I know some of you have probably feel like church is this place where you come in and you're judged and you're told that you have to get your shit together and you have to do that. What I'm trying to say is this is a goal, to love, to have that, to love better, to love well to respect one another. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's too much. Maybe I'm going a little too lovey-dovey. But, you know, I'm just taking the verses for what they say right now, for what I understand them to say. So those who, who have, have hurt us, let's, have, let's think about that. Um, let's see if I... Oh, this is, this is good. I like this one. And I think a lot of people who, who, who in the church would really do well to hold on to this. 
We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sisters are liars. For those who do not love brothers or sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Interesting, right? Because it's saying, okay, what? we go back to Augustine's quote, what do I love when I love God? I think the answer in 1 John would be, you love other people when you love God. That's why I've never been a big into worship music and stuff like that and like worshiping the sky and, oh, Jesus, come down. I mean, I know people dig that and that's cool. But for me, it's always been like, God's not asking us to like sing out and praise. I mean, people find verses that say that too. But God's not asking us to like burst out and just sing songs to the sky and then go out and say, this person's awful. I hate this person. I love this person. This person's acceptable. This person's unacceptable. No, God's saying, those are the things that are love. That's what John is saying. And John, that's, love is loving the other people. It's not coming to church on Sundays. It's not burning incense and sitting in a room quietly reading sacred texts. It's loving others. What do I love when I love God? What do I love when I love the ground of being? What do I love when I love... I, how do I experience love? By loving. If I hate someone else, how can I love God who I can't see? And it's just so funny to me that the church has, has often become this like special... like you know, clubhouse for people who have it together or follow the rules or regulations or who believe the right theology or believe the right ideas, you know, are in and those who don't are out, you know. And when it's whole saying is like, well, how can you love God then if you can't love this person who's right in front of you? You can't love this homeless person on the street or you can't love your LGBTQ brothers and sisters or you can't love your conservative brothers and sisters or you can't love your liberal brothers and sisters or your <laughs> middle, in the middle <laughs> independent voter brothers and sisters. You know, how, how can you love them? So the question then I, ask, I answer for Augustine or Augustine is others. Um, how do I love God? Others. You love others. So those who have heard us Love from afar, I talked about that earlier, or find common ground that, you know, find common ground when we have no choice sometimes. Sometimes there's this common ground. With my dad, it's grandkids. It's family. Um, You know, since I've been talking about not scapegoating and so much, I've talked to a lot of different conservatives who've reached out to me and talked to me, and some hostily and some not. But, you know, we've always been able to find common ground somewhere. Um, I've worked with people who I've not always agreed with on certain important theological beliefs, beliefs for me that were, were very important, but we found common ground. Love requires work and sacrifice. Do you know that? I mean, that's why the Bible, when it tells you to take up your cross or die to yourself daily, it's not saying that so you suffer and so you're a more, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're a um, mortar, martyr. It's not so you're a martyr. And no, it's, it's saying learn to endure so you can love others more, so you can love yourself more, you know. I mean, that's why I said I love that it says love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself because that as yourself part is very important that we learn to love ourselves because when we learn to love ourselves, we learn to know what we want out of life and who we really are. It's really important. I've gone through most of my life hating myself. 
and compromising and trying to earn that love from everybody else that was really there the whole time that was able to love myself and be the person I'm supposed to be. Um, so we, love requires work. It requires sacrifice. And it can help us not to fear, to not be afraid constantly. A lot of my suicidal ideation, ideation was because I was afraid of the future. I was afraid I didn't add up, that I wasn't going to be a good enough dad, I wasn't going to be a good enough friend, that I couldn't live up to expectations, so I didn't want to live anymore because I was afraid that I couldn't be what I was supposed to be. And I didn't realize that the key to that was accepting myself as who I was and saying, okay, that's, I've got it. My mom heard this book years ago called I Gotta Be Me. And it was just the fact that I've got to be me. And that was honestly not a selfish idea or a selfish comment. It was me saying, oh, I've got to learn to love myself in order to be any good to anybody else, to be a better dad, to be a better co-parent, to be a better friend, you know, to know what my theology is, to know what my belief system is, to know how to live a life well. I've got to love myself so I can give that to others because I don't have that anymore, you know. I mean, I remember my therapist sitting me down saying, like, the things that you think about yourself, would you ever say to anybody who's in part of your church? Would you ever sit down them and tell them that they were a piece of shit and that they were failures and that they weren't going to make it? I'm like, no. Well, why do you say it to yourself? You know, so my Achilles heel has always been me. Um, hurt is a tough one. But you know, my question is this: is because I'm I'm in a situation where I'm hurt from a pat, from past stuff. But what do we do when we can't? Can we can we help with that when we don't have the opportunity to separate or take time? You know, one of my therapists says, "Well, you just need to take time and separate from this person that you you're, you're hurt from and care about." And I, I can't. It's not a choice. This person is in my life. You know, I've got kids. I've got things like I can't go take three months off. This is not a choice. So I have to work this process out. And I'm telling this to everybody because I know we're all in different situations and saying, like, there are times where we're going to be hurt, and it's a tough one, you know, but how can we help when we don't have the opportunity to separate or take time or build distance, when we have to be in a situation that's hard and tough, you know? I think we have to be just true to who we are and the best that we can be. I think we have to have boundaries. I think we have to speak clearly, and we have to tell our truth, you know. And there's times where we have to have compromise because compromise is part of life. It's a tough one, but you just learn to say, okay, this is how it's going to Or we have to create a system that works. So you have to work out the system in order to be in a relationship with someone sometimes. And it might be a ton of boundaries. It might be saying, let's have less boundaries. I don't know what it looks like. But sometimes we have to be in situations with others. And, and at first, it might not be love. But I think it can grow into love. I think it can, I think it can um, evolve into a type of love. But it's tough. You know, when you, what, what does that look like? I think it looks different for ev- from everybody, but I think we're all trying to figure it out because we read all these damn self-help books and all these other things. But I think the biggest lie we've been sold is this happiness trap, is that life is about being happy 
and having everything together. As soon as you start thinking that life is about being happy, you start seeking out other things to make you happy, other people to make you happy, and all this stuff, and you get caught into this really horrible rat race. And, you know, I've just made the decision that I don't want to be, I don't have to be happy all the time anymore. I don't have to be happy. Happiness is a part of life, but suffering is also part of life. And often suffering is a greater part of life than happiness is. I've learned to enjoy and embrace and enjoy those times of happiness. But I've also learned that like suffering, suffering doesn't equal my self-worth. It doesn't make me a better person. I don't find my, I mean, a less person. When I'm suffering, when I'm going through hard times, I don't allow that to, to say that's who I am. I just go, no, that's part of life. Suffering is part of life. Happiness is a part of life. And I think the trick is here is that we've all told that somehow we deserve to be happy, that America is the freedom to pursuit of happiness, and it's all about being happy and content and having this perfect life. No one has it. It's a damn lie. It's bullshit, and it drives me crazy that we don't embrace suffering and hard times and boring times as part of life. We're all seeking out this idea and concept of, well, I want to be happy. I want to be complete. I want you to call me this. I want to be that. I want everybody to be perfect in my world, and you know, it fucking doesn't happen. I wish to God it did. But it just does not happen in life. Life is hard, especially for people outside of this country, If you look all over the world, the world is mostly people suffering and dying, losing loved ones, losing things that are important to them. We don't get it. We don't live in a real world where we want everyone to cater to our needs because no one is ever going to cater to your needs. If you want that, your world is going to become extremely tiny. I'm an introvert, so I understand it. People make me uncomfortable. But even in my friendships and closest relationships, I have uncomfortable, hard times. You know, and you know, and there's times where my friends can't be there for me, and it's lonely, and it doesn't feel like anybody gives a damn. You know what? And I think sometimes people don't always give a damn because they have their own things they're going through, and learning to accept that and go, you know what? Loneliness is also a part of life. It just is. It's living in reality. Then love becomes a whole different ball game. Love doesn't become this sweet, sappy. Oh, hippie thing. You know, it becomes a reality of love becomes loyalty. Love becomes maybe just someone sending you a text being like, hey, I'm thinking about you. You know? It might be just saying like, you know, I'm going to work a little bit harder so I can see my therapist. Just self-care. Or I'm going to learn to meditate. Or I'm going to do, I don't know. But the fact is we, we have these, I think, these expectations on life that just set us up for failure. And I think if we can embrace the fact that, you know, expectations really steal your peace, steal your serenity, steal your love. If we can learn to let expectations go and this unrealistic ideal that is built through movies and television and commercials, self-help books and all this crap and learn to embrace that, you know, that's a trap. What we're being sold every day, everywhere is a trap. We've got to learn that we're contradictions. Life is suffering. Because, man, when you learn that life is suffering, the happiness is, times are a lot more fun. When you learn to embrace it. Oh, here's a happy... T- this is great. This isn't going to last forever, but it's great. Sorry I'm going on a rant today. I, I thought this was going to be more organized, but <laughs> obviously I'm going through something. Um, so free yourself from the illusion of happiness and allow love to help you live 
life, a life, you know, that affirms and keeps your self-respect. It's the best you can do. I've learned a lot of this stuff, honestly, in, 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 in my 12-step program. I've been sober for 20-some-odd years, and I learned a lot of, like, this, like, letting go of expectations, living life on life's terms from that, you know? I didn't quit drinking. You know, I thought at first, I'm going to quit drinking and I'll be happy. That'll make me happy. Oh, shit. No, life's really still tough. <laughs> I learned that, oh, you don't have to, you know, this, thing, this thing's going to kill me because I'm using it to escape pain. And so here's the other choice is learn to embrace pain. So I had to learn to embrace pain and also learn to, to take responsibility for my own bullshit. Um, but this is this is this lesson I've learned not just from this scripture, but I've learned from life. Is I, I've been forced to learn as part of embracing life, and part of embracing things like radical theology and pyrotheology. And, and, and reading philosophy and even reading poets and listening to, really listening to some musicians and artists and, and, and who have these wonderful lives, but you think they have these wonderful lives, they create wonderful art, but you see how much of it comes out of pain and hurt. And I know that majority of my speaking and my talks, you know, I, I, I tweeted, this, t- tweeted this the other day, I was like, you know, I was like, I can post about my new work and what I'm doing, and yeah, I get two likes. You know, I'm like y'all. I post about depression and bad days, and, and you, I get like a, I get a hundred likes. You know, I'm like y'all some dark mother effers. You know, um, but then someone texts me. He's like, "Well, your work embraces your pain. You know, you don't leave one separated from the other." And I have to say, you know, without if I'm happy all the time, my talks probably aren't you know, aren't going to be hitting home. You know, I remember seeing Social Distortion play once. And Mike Ness goes, who wants to hear a happy song? And everybody went, woo! And he's like, we don't play no happy songs. You know, he's like, my art comes out of pain. And uh, so some of our best motivation, some of our best growth come out of hurt and pain and struggle. Going back to love, um, I guess my 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 uh, my hypothesis today is my suggestion is is learn to love yourself and accept yourself as an imperfect un- uh, human being as a constant contradiction. Um, so maybe you can give that to other people. So maybe if you learn to be patient with yourself, you can learn to be patient with others. You know, you learn to accept the contradictions in yourself, you can learn to accept the contradictions in others. Um, you can take the road less traveled. When I, when I say take the road less, less traveled, and I mean that's when loving your enemies and loving those who hurt you and, 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 and seeing people's worth, finding the little tiniest bit of worth to continue to love a person through. I mean, seriously, like, like this is how I'm going to love this person. I'm going to find this, this, and I'm going to love them. And I'm just going to have to do it. 
and I give grace. And uh, so when I say take the road less traveled, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to be honest with you, real transparent with you right now. I take the road less traveled. And I have friends of mine who are very angry with me because I still love people and I tolerate a lot of bullshit. But it, I just, I'll tell you what it is. It's grace. It's not being naive. It's not that I like to be hurt. It's just I really believe in this message of grace. I believe grace is anarchy. I believe in anarchy. I believe in this concept that sometimes we love people who don't necessarily seem like they deserve love. But you know what? I think it really, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, I believe everybody deserves love. And it hurts. It hurts really bad sometimes to live this life. So I'm not handing you a line of bullshit. It hurts a lot to not have your love reciprocated. It really does. But screw you. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to cry about it, and I'm going to hurt about it, I'm going to deal with it. But that's what I'm going to do. Because you know what? A lot of people loved me when I didn't know how to love myself. And I don't think I deserved it. And those people kept me alive. And so that's why I hold on to this Bible is because of this idea of grace and this idea that God is love. You know, I can grasp that. I can hang out with that because I don't know what God is. I don't know if God exists. I don't know if God is the ground of being. I don't know if God is a man in the sky. I don't think so. But to be honest with you, God is love. Okay, I can handle that. But I'm also not going to get you up here and say, oh, yeah, he's love and it's cool, man. You know, that's not freaking cool. It's really hard as hell. So I'm not here to sell anybody a bill of goods and tell you you're going to be happy if you do this. Your life might be a lot harder. It might feel like a lot more shit. But you know what? I really believe you're going to find this little peace. And I think that's why the Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding. I found that peace, and sometimes I don't get it. We wouldn't have enough time in the day if I was sat down here and tried to go through that and why that's there. But it is. So I'm going to say today is not one of my clear talks, probably not one of my favorite talks but it is one of my most honest talks. So let's jump into uh, Afterglow. This is where we have feedback, and now we have feedback that's online, which is really weird. Um, you got an idea? I think we have two listeners. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm getting lots of hearts. That's nice. Anybody here got a question? Are we recording? Any afterglows? Thoughts? Questions? Comments? I really appreciated your talk today. I um, Actually, it's my favorite talk I've heard you give. I haven't heard a ton of your talks but it just really deeply resonated with me and I really appreciate your passion and um, I thought it was incredibly coherent and profoundly simple and complex but um, yeah thanks man thank you that's nice to hear (laughs) it's funny when you work on these things you don't know really what's going to come out sometimes you know you feel it you know you feel it Put it down. But then you gotta sit with it for like a few days, you know, and kind of move away from it. 
reach next. <laughs> so, so Caleb's idea did not work. I see. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to do it in post. I think. Okay, post post production. Post production. Audio back on track. Someone just said. Cool. Yeah, audio didn't work. All right, thumbs up. <sighs> well, did you write anything down, Caleb? Or? Um. A lot of people say they love you and thank you for the openness and your well, honesty. And well, thanks everyone for the love. Lots, and of, lots of hard play. Hello to uh, Sean's youngest and hello. Thanks for listening, guys. Some how can we heal, deconstruct concepts of sinfulness that affect how we love ourselves? Man. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, anybody got an answer to that? I mean, for me, it's been lots of therapy, like dialectic behavioral therapy and EMDR, which is like the rapid eye movement therapy. It's been um, reading a lot of theology, philosophy, uh, honestly, reading some of my buddy Pete's books, uh, reading Caputo's books. Having to rethink what we even the concept of sin is, and realizing that we're all broken, and uh, even Hegel's concept of contradiction have helped me out a lot. Um, going through some really tough times has helped me out a lot. Caleb, do you have any yeah, thoughts uh, on that? Well, it's not something. Oh yeah, to to. That comment? Yeah, how can we deconstruct our concept of sinfulness that affects yeah. how we love ourselves? I mean, I don't, you know, I kind of realize that just sin isn't this weird thing, yeah. like bad things, mm-hmm. and good things. Not like a, uh, a virus or something. Isn't the literal definition uh, like missing the mark? Yeah. I think it's something that, uh, that Bob says all the time. Yeah, just when he comes. sometimes it's, I think it's denial of our humanity, to be honest with you. I think it's that idea of like thinking like I could find happiness in this situation or yeah. complete happiness and realize I mean Pete once said grace is the freedom from the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Well see that's that's something else that, that I wrote down just for myself. Um, the idea of like when you're talking about um, sobriety finally bringing you happiness kind of thing and, and that's something that you specifically talked about I think like uh, two weeks ago just about having a sacred object. Like once I get this thing I'll be happy. You know once I find this relationship, I'll be happier. If I, you know, if I get this new job, then I'll be happy. And I think there's, it's important to realize that achieving those things, those sacred objects, whatever you want to call them, um, that you have on a pedestal, it's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to bring you this like fully realized, actualized happiness. But it doesn't mean that you should stop pursuing those things. You know, because it's like, well, sobriety will find bring you happiness. You get sober, and then you're like, oh, well, I'm not fulfilled like I thought I would be. It doesn't mean that you should stop pursuing and working at sobriety, you know, in that specific example. Yeah. Or at, you know, um, I don't know, having a family or, or things that you, that, that might fall within the realm of the idea of the American dream. It's not that those things are bad things, but putting them on a pedestal, I think, is where, where it gets kind of dangerous and tricky, I think. Um, because I think you can swing to one extreme and say, well, um, since nothing's going to make me happy, then why even try? But obviously, I think that that's an extreme 
uh, overreaction in the opposite direction. Yeah. So it's maybe about balance. I don't know. No, I think that's or good. managing expectations, as they say. Someone said, how about we ask, what about asking for Jesus' forgiveness? Is that the right? How about we ask Jesus for forgiveness? Well, I don't think we have to, to be honest with you. If it's something that, you know, I mean, honestly, that I think we're all forgiven. You know, I think in asking for it is, would be redundant. If I go just by normal Christian theology. Yeah. Maybe asking for a reminder that that forgiveness or love is there, either from a higher power or from the community around you, the church, you know people around you. I think accepting that it's already there. That it's there. So, yeah. You know, like when Tillich says accept that you are accepted, he, he's basically saying realize that, that you might not change more, you might not become better, you might not become more spiritual, you might not know more, you might not do more, but you have to accept that you're accepted. And so I think that would be the main thing is accepting grace is that it's your life is accepting that grace that you are accepted as Tillich would say. You know, um, it's not something that you have to go out and look for. Or asked for, but it's that's it's there. Grace is there. Can I comment on that? Yeah, question? please. Um, <clears throat> it is such a good question, and I found myself, oh man, for decades, just in the process of deconstruction and cognitive dissonance, and the whole idea of sin and forgiveness is um, the most simple answer for me, as far as self-love in regards to um, the conflicts between the traditional or traditional evangelical or American idea of sin. I guess it applies to um, beyond evangelicalism in the Christian world. But I just think about everyone's got some type of barometer for what they think is a moral failing. But if we understand, like, okay, I don't meet that barometer, I don't live up that barometer, which is makes self-love difficult, but we under, if we understand that no one does, and we understand the idea of non-judgment, of course, then we can, you know, not judge ourselves and not judge others. And if, talking about sin and deconstruction, if, if someone with a Christian background wants to go through the biblical route, I just think it's Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the merciful receive mercy, forgive and you'll be forgiven, and don't judge and you won't be judged. And then Matthew 25 is amazing where like, okay, are you welcoming the stranger? Are you taking care of people in their moments of need? And and that has nothing to do with beliefs or ideas or opinions or theology. It just has to do with empathy. And of course, that should facilitate self-empathy. But then just thinking about the history of ethical philosophy and how there's no consensus. Morality's subjective, and I, I don't want to get on a tangent, but um, we, it's, we just have to accept that we're not the authority on what's right and wrong, and we have to give ourselves mercy. And if we don't have that, how can we share that? Um, yeah, there's just a real logic to that for me. Um, and the condemnation of modern Christianity that we're all taught, like, absolutely deconstruct that. Yeah. Please deconstruct And I love what you said about forgiveness. 
I think it's the framework of the universe. And if we acknowledge the reality of beauty and love and forgiveness and mercy, then why not live in that and share that? add something else too about forgiveness and, yeah um, with the question of um, asking Jesus or somebody else for forgiveness um, I, I think I agree with that that you're already forgiven so you could ask but you're, it's already it's kind of redundant and I uh, immediately think of a, a, the 12-step framework of asking forgiveness making amends with people and not that you're, you're not necessarily doing, you're not doing that with Jesus or God, but you're doing it with some other person. And um, how hard that is. It's such a hard thing to do. And I feel like you also have to accept when you're asking for, if you're going to do that with another person, you have to accept whatever their response is. Yeah. Which is very hard. And ultimately, at the end, you can't control that response. And then to look at why you're doing that, and you're doing that, that, that act of, or you're asking for forgiveness for yourself, really. And to change your own behavior and your own what's going on with you, I feel like that's a that's a um, a, a big part of my understanding of forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, my therapist said that. I really want to say this and the, to the somebody. My therapist was like, "Okay, well, why do you want to say this, and what do you expect to get out of it?" You know, because really, if you just want to say it, then that's okay. But if you have expectations for what they're going to say back to you, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And can you accept that? Can you say your piece? And accept whatever response you get. I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm going here with an ulterior motive. So I have to check, like, what are my motives here for even going to this person saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, what if they say, piss off, you know, or what if they say, no, you know, can you accept that? And I had to learn to go, okay, well, how do I accept that? Yeah. Um, I thought one of, somebody wrote something, I thought this was important to read. Um, our friend over here wrote uh, the hardest part is not necessarily setting boundaries with others but rather with ourselves about loving others I think that's pretty good that's for me because I, I know people in my life who've set boundaries in their own life and that you know, so I've not always been about setting boundaries with others it's just not really how I've always worked I mean, maybe a few boundaries here and there but setting boundaries myself has always been the issue. Even with like knowing that another person has boundaries, like, okay, well, how do I love them with their boundaries? Because their boundaries are so different than mine. So I don't even know how to love them. So I have to develop a whole new way to love this person now that I can't love them the way I would want to be loved. So really, I have to learn how to evolve my, my way of loving others. So I think it's a great quote. Oh man, we're getting some more. Oh, someone said, "Yay, thanks for sharing, y'all. That really helped." Matthew goes helping. Someone wrote, "Personally, I think the creator." Wait, personally, I think the creator surrounded Jay with great friends last year while in battle with depression. Looking forward to seeing whom the next tattoo will be dedicated to. <laughs> now, I'm going to get all sorts of people's names tattooed on me. No girlfriends or wives. Because <laughs> it's the only superstition I have anymore is that I believe that's a curse. But besides that, friends, sure. 
person made me stop being my friend with a name tattoo. Um, that was my hope of Pete, but it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> uh, personally, I think, yeah, the creator surrounded Jay with great friends. That's really nice. Is that it? That was great. That was some great feedback. Are you good, Caleb? Yeah. We're good? Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, I had to get my phone thing out. Thanks everybody on uh, Instagram for listening. We appreciate it having you here. Tell your friends to join us in this un, un, uh, unorganized religion podcast. And uh, thanks everybody for coming today. All right. Oh, should I mention? Yeah, might as well. Well, I'm going to mention it. Revolution is a nonprofit, and uh, we survive by donations. And honestly, uh, the past few months have been a little, little tight, and we like to get Caleb on staff as well. So we're going to try to raise some funds. But if you like what we're doing, you go to revolutionchurch.com and donate there. And uh, we've got PayPal and all that good stuff. Um, you know, So, yeah, we need your support. If you love our work and you appreciate what we're doing, please support us financially. We can really use it. Or if you have like a microphone or two. Or if you have a microphone. People can see your audio setup. This is all we're working with here, y'all. So <laughs> yeah, so we can use microphones and audio equipment and all sorts of stuff. So um, we might just put out a needs list soon. We're also looking for somebody who might have experience in raising funds because I've pushed away so long because of my family history that I might need some guided direction on how to properly raise some funds to keep this church going. But thanks, everybody, for listening. We love you a lot. I appreciate you. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Hi, I'm Caleb with Post-Christian Podcasting. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like The Sacred Collective. And I guarantee you all these pastors probably have these sexual skeletons in their closet that they refuse to talk about. No, for sure. And so then they put that on their students and then their students' friends and whatever. Yeah. And you have to speculate if that's where that weird obsession with stopping people from being at all sexual or being okay with sexuality, if that's where that comes from, is is personal uh, repression, you know, self-repression of of sexuality. Look at... Oh, gosh. Where is it? Who is it? Early church... Oh guy who is like super sexualized Augustine very book of God yes we get a lot of our thoughts about sex from mm. him and he was like super sexualized he was a sexual deviant he was a sexual deviant when he was when he was younger and then to like make up like later in life he completely renounced all of that but we get a lot of our idea ideas about how we should behave as sexual beings from him, from somebody who could not accept his own sexuality in his own way, we're, we're getting all this stuff from him, and we're expected to, like, adopt that, even though he clearly had issues with his own sexuality. And wasn't it with Augustine in his his view on, like, sin, or like, original sin... Yes. ...was through the semen, mm-hmm. and it was through, like, the oh, act of Oh, he's sex. the one who came up yeah. with that? Yes, he is. It was Augustine. It was the act of, literally the act of sex of a man, you know, orgasming into a woman to his wife. Augustine would say, 
that 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 like so the man carries that sin in his semen and kind of like you were saying kayleen it was that like it was like he went com- complete polar opposites where he went from being like yeah i'm gonna have sex with prostitutes or whores or concubines or whatever to being so on the other side where he was like just the act of sex in itself is impure is terrible and is nasty and sad to say but you know 1500 years later that's still in a lot of churches to this day and it's not even biblical it's just this one man's view because he was so traumatized and because he was an early church father that's what happened and then i don't know it just it, that never made sense to me i remember in college i was reading it and i was like this dude was messed up and we're getting all of our theology from him what like come on let's let's think more about this let's pay attention to what was happening in the context of his life so that we can make sense of this now because it's not the same thing that was a post christian podcast <laughs>